Welcome to the Public Health Power Hour podcast, a recording of live conversations with public health experts on the most important global health issues. I'm Steve Hamill, Vice President of Policy Advocacy and Communication at Vital Strategies. We're a global health organization and we're reimagining public health. At Vital Strategies, we believe that public health is everything that surrounds you that makes great health possible. That means clean air and water, access to medicine and quality care, healthy food and places to get exercise, and removing bias and discrimination in healthcare. Here on the Public Health Power Hour, we get together to look at how the world around us shapes our health and how we can shape the environment so that everyone everywhere has the potential for great health. And if you want to join our conversations live, please follow us on Twitter under the handle VitalStrat. Welcome, everyone, to the Public Health Power Hour, a weekly discussion hosted by Vital Strategies on the relationship between personal health and public health. And to us, that really means everything that surrounds us that makes good health possible. It's clean air and clean water, and I know we'll be discussing a lot about clean air today, but it also means access to medicines, it means healthy food, it means places to get exercise, it also means a supportive culture that surrounds us and working to remove to barriers to health, whether they be access or cultural like bias. And Vital Strategies has started this Public Health Power Hour for people who want to reimagine public health so that it's closer to the center of our commercial, social, and civic life. And we want to take time each week to learn about different areas of public health, how they intersect, how they interact, what we can do, and to listen to and share different perspectives on health. We've had fantastic discussions on a host of different topics like health equity, the war on drugs, Um, and dissecting things like the United Nations General Assembly, how to take action. And if you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or a response that you don't get in, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us an email at powerhour at vitalstrategies.org. My name is Steve Hamill. I'm Vice President of Policy Advocacy and Communication at Vital Strategies. And I'm really excited to host this week's talk Um, that commemorates the International Day of Blue Skies, a day hosted by the United Nations to focus on the need for healthy air for all. And so we're leading this discussion with some incredible experts on air pollution and respiratory health. All of the speakers are participating in their personal capacity and their statements and views on this show represent those personal points of view. We will be recording this discussion and um, if you speak or contribute later during the Q&A, we may use your voice in a future recording. I'd like to introduce our panelists um, and warm up the discussion uh, by asking them to point out a news story that caught their eye recently. And if you, uh, this is a segment we repeat each week, if you want to share something that caught your eye, please click the request to speak and we'll have a few min- moments to hear from the audience as well. Um, the first person I'd, I'd like to ask to share an article is Suni Mehta. Suni's, Sumi is an air pollution and environmental health expert. She's the senior epidemiologist at global health organization Vital Strategies and my colleague here. Um, she and her team collaborate closely with policymakers, nonprofit NGOs, and other organizations to support innovation, clean air policy solutions. Um, Sumi, was there an article that 
caught your eye this week that you'd love, like to share with the audience? Yes, um, thank thank you, Steve. I, I actually wanted to think about um, an article which I felt was a bit um, inspirational and, and kind of appropriate as we celebrate the International Day of Clean uh, Blue Skies this week. And so one of the things that I, I saw was, you know, several articles that really described the progress in um, what used to be one of the world's most polluted cities, Beijing, um, and was really excited to see that, you know, even just less than 10 years after it, the city was really infamous for having um, some of the worst air quality in the world, um, it's now recording some of the best air quality since 2013. Um, and it was really just very exciting, inspirational to see that um, in a place that was, you know, notorious for having horrible air, that in such a short period of time, they're now describing how what they call the Beijing blue in terms of its blue skies is becoming the new normal there. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I also think in <laughs> in this time, in this moment, sharing those kinds of stories of progress is so important. Um, we, we need we need to understand, to believe that we can make progress. Um, Leith Greenslade is uh, our next speaker. She's co-founder and coordinator of the Every Breath Counts Coalition, um, an alliance of 50 organizations from public, private, and nonprofit sectors, and they're working together to reduce deaths from pneumonia, including from COVID-19. We're really happy had to have her on the discussion. Leith, was there an article that caught your interest this, this week? Yeah, there was, Steve. It's not nearly so positive. So I think all of us have images from the pandemic that really haunt us. For me, it was a, uh, an article in the New York Times about Indonesian children actually dying from COVID in large numbers. And it was a story about a young couple who lost their 22-month-old daughter, Kimmy, to COVID. Um, but the images in the story were of mum and dad crouched over her grave outside a cemetery because they wouldn't actually allow the baby to be buried in the cemetery because of fears of, of COVID. So they found a little burial plot outside and the grave is covered in flowers. There's a little wooden headstone. And it just underscored the, the grief of that family, but also that there are many children uh, dying from COVID outside of high-income settings. And then the article explored why that might be. And, of course, air pollution came up as a potential contributing factor, household crowding, pre-existing conditions like TB, poor nutrition, all of these different factors. And it just underscored for me, and it's relevant to our discussion today, how all these factors interact together to really expose children uh, in low- and middle-income countries. Thank you for that. Yeah, I saw the same article, and I was also interested and touched, and I know we'll talk to, about this in our discussion later, about the importance of having those kinds of personal, emotional, poignant stories to connect people to the data. You know, data is not enough to spur action. Unfortunately, we need to understand emotionally the consequences of inaction. Um, our next speaker is Korta Ayuni, also known as Ayu. Ayu is a fourth-year medical student from Indonesia. She's active in the Center for Indonesian Medical Student Activities, or SIMSA, one of the biggest medical student organizations in Indonesia, and focusing on empowering medical students and improving the nation's health. Ayu, welcome to Public Health Power Hour. What, uh, what article would you like to share? 
Hello, thank you, Steve. Uh, actually, I bring two article news from Indonesia. Maybe this is not directly related to air pollution, but it is actually a good news for all of us here. The opposite from Leeds article. Uh, right now, Indonesia is implementing Community Activities Restrictions Enforcement, or, Indonesia, or in Indonesian, we called it Pemberlakuan Pembatasan Kegiatan Masyarakat, commonly referred to as the PPKM. It is a coordinated sanitary policy of the Indonesian government since early 2021 to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. And as of 8 September 2021, all provinces in Indonesia implement PPKM, of which 16 of them implement the level 4 or emergency one. And the Minister of Home Affairs announced a new term regarding the PPKM mechanism with a scale from the first to the fourth level. And yeah, uh, my city in Jakarta, uh, the capital of Indonesia, is right now in level three. And the second one is vaccination rate. It's very happy to see that during last week reported, Indonesia averaged about 1,248,778 doses of COVID-19 vaccines at administered each day. And at that rate, it will take a further 44 days to administer enough doses for another 10% of the population. And in Jakarta itself, the city I live in, per September 4th, there uh, there are 120% of people are already get their first dose of COVID vaccine. Thank you for that. And, you know, for those of us with colleagues, friends, family in Indonesia, which has been one of the hardest hit countries in the world uh, of late, have been so relieved to see the numbers coming down. And thank you. I know this is probably a difficult personal time to be contributing to um, a, a forum like today. We really appreciate having you on. And thank you for sharing that. I did see a colleague in the audience raise their hand. I'm happy, and it went back down. I'm happy to bring you up um, while our last uh, official speaker um, brings an article to the stage. His name is Alejandro Daly. He's a UNICEF consultant and the director of the Right to Disobey, a social platform that aims to empower civil society in Colombia to create social change and influence public policies around issues like air pollution, climate change, refugee rights, and peaceful mobilization. Alejandro, welcome. What article would you like to share? Hello, everyone. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, such a lovely day to talk about air pollution, pneumonia, and child health. Um, actually, um, this is a, a news from London, but it caught my eye because even though we know that there is a link between air pollution and mental illness, this particular study, uh, this was, I think, 27th of August, so not that far away, uh, made a study in, with 13 people in London and found that a relatively small increase in exposure to nitrogen dioxide led to a 32% increase in the risk of needing community-based treatment and in other um, mental health diseases. Uh, so I find particularly interesting because we're in the midst of a, of a pandemic where we're talking so much also about mental health and seeing, I mean, can you imagine what the, the, the risk associated to mental health from the pandemic in general plus air pollution? That's a particular topic we need to discuss, and especially for us young people in, in cities where air pollution is, is quite bad. Uh, let's say, for example, I don't know, here, for example, in Colombia, but India in general. So this is something we need to discuss. I hope we can discuss this here. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm, I'm eager to get uh, into the conversation. I know we'll be talking about what are the types of 
messages that motivate people to get involved. Um, and I agree with you that pointing out that, you know, air pollution can affect every part of the body, every part of your health, including mental health. We have to explore those topics to figure out um, how we spur people to action on this critical issue. And maybe um, uh, starting out, sort of starting out our main topic, maybe Sumi, you can set the stage for us here. Can you share, you know, why is air pollution, pneumonia, and child health such an important public health topic? What's the scale of this issue and where in the world is it happening? Um, you know, what's the, what's the impetus? What's the impetus here? Sure. And so I think one of the first things um, that we need to keep in mind here is we're talking about children's health, um, but children's exposure to air pollution actually starts even earlier when they're still in the womb. And then this exposure continues throughout their life. Um, and as a result, this is critical because the impacts of childhood exposures to air pollution don't only affect children's health, but they can have longer term impacts on health throughout the life course. Um, in addition, I think, you know, we're thinking about children, we have to remember that children are not just little people. Um, they're, they're, they're particularly susceptible because their organs are still developing. So um, most lung growth, for example, occurs after birth, um, after birth, um, just like you would think about, you know, arms and legs and, 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 other, and, and other, other parts of our body. Um, in addition, they're much more active than adults, so they tend to breathe in more air and, in many cases, more pollution as a result. So having said all of that, you might be wondering, you know, how big of a problem is air pollution really for children's health? And I think the, 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 the short answer is that it is of major concern. Um, we see um, around 680,000 deaths um, attributable to air pollution um, in children under five every year. Um, and this includes over 300,000 deaths from um, from from um, from pneumonias, um, and so this is you know certainly not a small number. Um, if if you want something to kind of benchmark this with, um, you can think of um, the approximately two hundred and seventy five thousand deaths that we see um, in children from malaria every year. Um, so so I think you know it's it's still a, a a big problem, and particularly if we're thinking about child pneumonia, um, it's actually an increasing share of the, of the issue, because we've actually seen, and this is, you know, some of the good news that I think that we need to remember, lots of major global progress in reducing child pneumonia um, through really implementing really effective strategies, other strategies to prevent, diagnose, and also treat child pneumonia. But as a result, there's, there's this remaining kind of pool of child pneumonia that we won't really be able to address um, without really focusing on promoting clean air. Uh huh. I, yeah, it's, I saw this stat that 90% of the world experiences, you know, chronic poor air quality, which is like, you know, staggering statistic about, you know, who's at risk and where people are at risk. Can you just build a minute and share with us kind of big picture? Um, you talked a little bit about progress. What does the global movement to address air pollution look like? What are advocates calling for to make significant progress? Right. And, and I think, um, you know, Steve, what the, the, the statistic that you just shared really kind of um, it, it gives us the bottom line here. We already know that so much of the world is breathing unhealthy air. So um, while there's been a lot of interest and a lot of progress and in kind of 
measuring air quality, just having additional data on air quality alone is not going to actually make an impact. What we really need is clean air action. Um, and so I think any um, anything that we can do to really focus on identifying and then reducing the leading sources of pollution um, wherever people may be um, is, is going to be most effective. And you know the good news is that we know that there are proven solutions to um, to to improving um, emissions from all of the leading sources of um, pollution. We just need to make sure um, that these can be really effectively implemented. Great. And speaking of action, um, we have Leith Greenslade, um, who's, you know, as I mentioned, is running the Every Breath Counts Coalition, you know, geared towards creating real measurable progress. Leith, can you tell me more, you know, what is the Every Breath Counts Coalition, you know, and how does it spur the kind of action that that uh, that Sumi was talking about? So the Every Breath Counts Coalition, we have 50 official uh, organizations who are members and many more supporters and those organizations run the gamut from the smallest NGO right through to large multinational companies and everything in between. We've really tried to embrace all of the major actors um, in pneumonia um, and we existed prior to COVID but since COVID we've been super active trying to help countries you know meet these rising needs for oxygen and some of the other respiratory therapies they need just to take care of COVID patients, many of whom have pneumonia. So we're very active um, in health. We have not been as active in air pollution. And that's something I think that's true of most health-based organisations. And we have been trying to change that. So our ask to the health organisations, like global health agencies, who are relatively strong um, after decades of good support from groups like the Gates Foundation and many governments like the US government, European governments, specific Asian governments, they have to really take ownership of air pollution because all of these health goals that countries are being asked to achieve, the big one being the reductions in child deaths by 2030 as part of the Sustainable Development Goals, they can't achieve those targets without moving on air pollution. Childhood pneumonia is such a huge part of child deaths in most countries that they simply can't achieve the big goal, the big child survival goal, without working on pneumonia, and that means they have to work on air pollution. It's both indoor air pollution and outdoor. We sort of can't divide these anymore and, and pretend that they're totally separate spheres. We need integrated policies that work on both simultaneously. So our rallying cry to our members is to get behind air pollution, integrate it fully with the work you're doing on health and start really working with governments so they can do the same. We have to get the health ministry, the environment ministry, the energy ministry. We have to rally all these folks um, to tackle this issue together. Thank you. And can I dig into something you mentioned a bit, household air pollution? I mean, I know when I started working in public health and I think probably popularly people think of air pollution as something you know, that happens outside, that comes out of chimneys and smokestacks into the air, and you can avoid, you know, bad air days by staying indoors. Um, but, you know, I've come to learn that indoor air pollution is a serious threat. And how does addressing household air pollution fit in with, um, you know, the other leading sources and the sort, sort of more popularly recognized, you know, smog and, and pollution coming out of chimneys? 
So if you just look at children, and Sumi mentioned the numbers, about 300,000 child pneumonia deaths are air pollution related. The majority of the risk, not all of it, but the majority of the risk is coming through household air pollution. So the air little children breathe at home. And that's mom cooking. That's how they heat the home. Um, often it's, it's uh, even if the cooking is done outside or the farming is done outside, it comes into the home. So it's all mixed in, but the, the greatest risk for the littlest ones, and let's remember that childhood pneumonia kills very small children. So those deaths are concentrated in children under one year of age. So we're talking about children who are not at school yet. They're at home with mom and she's taking care of them at the same time as she's you know, often cooking and doing all of the other things she has to do. So um, we, we will not, um, the greatest impact can be made um, by focusing on household air pollution for the smallest children. So that means changing the way the food is cooked, changing the way the house is heated and lit. Um, all of these things are energy solutions, which is why the energy sector is really you know, a critical part of the solution here. There have been lots of fits and starts with clean cooking. So everybody will remember the various trials that were done about trying to get better cooking stoves into the home. We learnt a lot <laughs> with all of that research. It's not adequate to solve our problems. We need more sophisticated solutions to really transform the way energy um, powers these homes in very low resource settings. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think um, that the kind of tech, you know, individual tech solution was was the hot thing for a while. Thank you for, you know, building building our knowledge of how important addressing in, indoor household air pollution is. I just want to take an aside for a second um, because you're working in this in the global sphere, and can I, you know, nothing happens or everything today happens within the lens of COVID-19 and the pandemic. Can you just give us a little insight on how COVID-19 has affected your coalition's work and, and how people see the, the issue of air pollution now? Um, you know, can, can you build that, that out for us a bit? Thank you for that question, Steve. So our coalition had been, well, let me just be candid, screaming for years that the global health community was not paying attention to respiratory infections. We've had major and highly successful efforts focused on HIV, AIDS, TB and malaria, and major infectious diseases in their own right, but none of them kill anywhere near uh, the number of people that respiratory infections like pneumonia do. And this data is pre-COVID. Let me just give you the number. Pre-COVID, uh, pneumonia killed 2.5 million people every year. Now, when we add in the COVID deaths, that's an extra 2 million. So we're, we live in a world now where in terms of infectious disease, respiratory infections are far and away the leading killers uh, on the planet. So this brings air pollution as a leading risk factor for respiratory infection death centre stage of the new movement we need to reduce deaths and risk from respiratory uh, pen, uh, infections and pandemics. We're told we're going to have another respiratory pandemic. Um, so air, to the, any extent air pollution can reduce our risk, not just for respiratory infection deaths, but of another pandemic, um, increasing the toll of another pandemic, I think we need to really elevate fighting air pollution in all of its aspects to centre stage at the global health level and in every country. Thank you. And maybe I'll bring a, a new perspective into that. IU. You're a, a medical student training to be a doctor who's, who's always thinking about patients and people, the, pa the people who show up in the hospitals with respiratory infections. 
Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, in, from your perspective, what what is the health sector's role in, in addressing air pollution? And, and maybe um, how does that show up in your advocacy through the Center for Indonesian Medical Students activities? Okay, thank you so much, Steve, for the question. So, uh, as we all know, the health effects of air pollution are very serious. From the WHO data, one-third of deaths from stroke, lung cancer, and heart disease are due to air pollution. This is having an equivalent effect to that smoking tobacco and much higher than, say, the effect of eating too much salt. As we know, air pollution is hard to escape. It is all around us. Microscopic pollutants in the air can slip past our body's defenses, penetrating deep into our respiratory and circulatory system, damaging our lungs, heart, and even brain. CIMSA, or Center for Indonesian Medical Student Activities, is a medical student organization in Indonesia. We have 27 local chapters in 27 faculties of med medicine in universities in Indonesia. What we do are we educate people through social media campaign and ground campaign. We attend some meetings, take a role in making policies to make sure that they implement health aspects in all policies. We also do audiences with stakeholders, UNA, GO, NGO, and youth organizations regarding health issues, including air pollution and its, its impact to human health. And regarding air pollution itself, Chinsa actually has one division that focuses on this matter, which is SCOF, or Standing Committee on Public Health. SCOF has annual programs that are World No Tobacco Day and World Tuberculosis uh, Day. And we have other projects about air pollution too. I would like to share with you guys. Uh, the first one is International Day for the, uh, Disaster Reduction that conducted by Scrub Chimsa. We are doing through a social media campaign to promote zero air pollution, highlighting Indonesia air quality and the risk of disaster due to bad air quality. Promotion are done in the form of infographics and quiz series. We further extend IDDRR into ground campaign in, in DKI Jakarta with 25% participate in this event. And we also conduct air pollution and health effects training carried out by Chinsa Human Rights Trainer. And the training was conducted on three locals with total of 52 participants. The second one, the second activities from Chinsa Indonesia regarding air pollution is Dim Sum from Universitas Lampung. We did training via Zoom regarding global warming with 20 medical students as the total audience. And we also held a webinar via Zoom to educate general public about the global warming with a total audience of 81. And lastly, we held a ground campaign for webinar participants and successfully planted 20 trees with, with 13 trees from the Ministry of Environment and, Environment and Forestry. So we planted trees from the uh, Ministry of Environment and Forestry for a better air uh, quality. And lastly, we also do the World Not Tobacco Day from SCOF Chimsa Indonesia in national level and local level. We held a capacity building regarding smoking prevention and cessation with total of 77 medical students as the audience. And we educated 1,284 general population in Indonesia regarding smoking prevention and cessation. And also, there are 10 locals of Scott Chimsa Indonesia who have contributed in organizing activities with the theme of smoking prevention and cessations. And for the advocacy award, 
Jimsa and other youth organizations are working on advocacy efforts with Yayasan Lentera Anak regarding government regulation related to smoking in children. We discussed the regulation that doesn't seem to work anymore because smoking cases in, in children remain high in Indonesia. So uh, we are sending a letter of recommendation to our president and our Ministry of Health to immediately replace the regulation regarding this matter. One of our recommendations is to set cigarette advertisement to be at 12 to 4 a.m. Yes, that's great. I love how you're describing the various campaigns and activities to build public demand, awareness of this issue, like, you know, to get people to care, but also to build demand for action. Um, and, I, it, you know, it's, it seems like so many people think, especially in Indonesia, or maybe not especially, but definitely in Indonesia, where there are significant and visible poor air quality days and frequent hazard days, they think of air quality as a daily threat, something maybe you can avoid by staying indoors, you know, when it's bad, instead of this kind of long-term threat we've been hearing about for children's health around cancer, lung disease, heart disease, and even mental illness, as, as Alejandro pointed out earlier. Ayu, can you talk about a little bit, you know, how did you learn about this issue? How do you get other medical students and the public to care? What are the kind of messages that you're using to, to get through to people? Okay, so uh, as you heard before, I mentioned a lot of campaign, training, and others. And that's actually what we did. We did and, and actually are doing mostly social media campaigns. Uh, as you know, uh, as you said before too, Chimsa's vision and mission are to empower medical students and to improve nation's health. You know, the empower medical student came first then improving nation's health because we want to empower our medical students in Indonesia first so that if they are already empowered, we can together improve our nation's health. So yeah, we do so many capacity buildings about the air pollutions and in the greater topic climate change. Some of them are also partnership capacity buildings with vital strategies. We discuss about its effect on health, how we prevent it, and what the consequences will be in the future. And we now are in the process of developing a local advocacy guideline, also a collaboration with vital strategies. And also our members in 27 locals uh, is like to share their knowledge with each other too. So they are discussing about health topics, including this matter, uh, and then another topic like youth involvement and others. And lastly, Chimsa has the national meeting too. Uh, when we gather our members from 27 locals in one Zoom meeting to discuss about the health issue, about what are we gonna do about uh, in health and in those health issues, and juga uh, and in that meeting we also invite experts to talk about it to us. So uh, we get so many perspectives from the expert, from the government organization, from the United Nations, uh, national uh, NGO, and also youth organizations. Great. Alejandro, I know you're an expert in this area as a UNICEF youth advocate and leader and, um, you know, really an expert, again, about how to get different people, especially youth, to care and to take action on air pollution. You've built this strong coalition. Can you share a little bit about what made it motivated you on this issue and, and how do you You know, and what do you think it takes to get young people excited to work on this issue? Thanks for the question. Um, 
I always I, I always get get asked like how someone how a young leader connects with air pollution. I mean, um, there are so many issues in, in the global agenda, and in particular in in developing countries, there's so many issues. And normally, when you talk about air pollution, the discussion is mainly between older people and adults in general. And you don't see, you don't get to see a lot of young people discussing about air pollution. Um, so how I get here, that's a question. And how I want other young people to to get involved, that's another one. I'll try to answer both of them. So to the first one, actually, my mom, she's a doctor. And back in Venezuela, because I'm from Venezuela originally, although I live here in Colombia since seven years ago, um, she started a program called Chronicismo, uh, which translates to um, a program directed to uh, fight non-communicable diseases in the clinic that she runs. And I didn't understand, like, she always told us as, as her children, like, you need to understand that the biggest problem are non-communicable diseases uh, because people think that they're not, but they are. And I didn't understand anything that she was talking because I really didn't want to, to study medicine uh, nor anything health-related. And then forward some couple of years later, I end up in Bogota, uh, and Bogota was quite polluted. Uh, it still is not as bad as before. Um, and I start to get the same episodes of asthma that I was getting when I was really young in Venezuela here in Colombia, and I didn't understand what was happening. Uh, and that's when I realized one day, uh, actually my university was in a mountain here in Bogota, and I see all the clouds or the sky is gray. And I told someone like, what is that? Is no, that's pollution. And I was like, that, that moment something ring, I was like, Okay, this is bad. I, I I don't know if you feel like that like, that way, but you get a call. You know, like something in the world is telling you, like this is your call. Um, and I think I have two calls. I, I have a call as a migrant to work for migrants and refugees' rights, and a call as a human being to fight uh, air pollution and, and climate inaction. Um, and then, how do I want origin people to get involved? Because it, it isn't that easy. Um, and I completely agree with what all the previous speakers were saying in terms of, you know, the data is there. What we need to understand is how we make that data approachable to people, and in particular to young people. And I think in that particular area, the most important thing are symbols. And that's what connected me a lot with air pollution, how I want to connect our young people with air pollution. You see, we have symbols for lack of access in education, for other uh, major issues in the global agenda. But when we think in air pollution, we don't necessarily get an image. Um, so what we did and what we tried to do here in Colombia is to create symbols that connect people with the fact that the air that they're breathing is really bad. So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, for example, this was, this was actually my first mobilization here in Bogota. Uh, we created two giant uh, lungs made with cotton, and we put it next to one of the biggest um, public transport um, areas, and we left them. We left them there, uh, and people were like, "What are those big giant lungs from cotton?" No, nobody understood. Uh, and what we wanted to prove was how our lungs 
get dirty with the air that we're breathing with MP in general. Uh, so people really got the message and people were like, somebody put a, a pair of lungs and that started a whole conversation in Bogota around, around air pollution. And for example, in Medellin, which was the first city that had a, a crisis from air pollution in Colombia, uh, what we did was created a giant cigarette box and put it in front of the mayor of the, um, the place where all the governmental offices are in Medellin. And we called it Mede Ojim, which translates to Mede Smoke. And people were so infuriated, like, how, why are you doing that? Um, and then we asked them, what do you think when, we, when you see this giant box that it says Mede Smoke? And they said, well, I assume that that means that we're breathing polluted air. And we got it like, yes. That's the message. So what can we do about it? And actually, that started a whole conversation in Medellin that ended up with the government opening the data of the monitoring stations in Medellin. And we accomplished that through a symbol and a lot of mobilization. But the mobilization happened because people the, the situation mattered for people, and in particular for young people. So to summarize, I think that what we need to do, I mean, we have the data. All of us here know the severity of the problem around air pollution. How do we connect other people with this particular agenda? As advocates, our role is just that, to make people care about, what, about the things that we care. And I think we need to be better. Uh, other agendas have done it, and I think this is the start of making a revolution in terms of how to prioritize the fight for cleaner air worldwide, and in particular, I find that needs to involve young people. Thank you so much for painting a picture of, you know, the, the power of getting young people involved and in and, and positions of leadership to, to get um, society and governments to care. I know that you recently launched an air pollution toolkit um, that you worked on. Are, are the kind of ideas that you just spoke about embedded in the toolkit? How is the toolkit, how can the toolkit help people? Of course, actually that's the thing that excites me the most. And thanks first to all the UNICEF team, to Amy, Soraya, Hanok, Sara, Emilia, everyone that's, that was involved in developing this toolkit. This toolkit is part of a climate action toolkit for young activists uh, that it was first developed by the Latin American and the Caribbean office from UNICEF, and it's now being used worldwide by different offices from UNICEF and also partners and stakeholders. Um, and from the UNICEF team, they, they realized that, as you all said, air pollution was and is a major topic that needs to involve more young people. So they find a group of young people that I have the chance to, uh, to co-lead with a friend called Sara, and together uh, we look for other young people in Latin America and the Caribbean. We work with 13 young leaders from seven countries, uh, from Belize to Chile to Colombia, uh, to create this toolkit. And this toolkit gives you um, different things. First, it gives you a glimpse on the state of air quality in the world with a specific focus on Latin America and the Caribbean. It, it makes a, a deep analysis on what is air pollution, the types of pollution, and the effects of air pollution uh, in different types of population. As Sumi was saying, it's different when you're a, a, a person um, that is pregnant or when you're a young, kid, a, a young children or when you're an older uh, person, it has different effects. 
We also talk about the air quality management, which are the essential focus. We need to understand air pollution as an issue that it has uh, a, a gender equity topic, it has an intergenerational justice topic, it has um, low and middle income communities justice topic because it affects different to different people. Uh, we also talk about the relationship between climate change and air pollution, which I, I think is something major uh, because we have thousands of young leaders mobilizing for climate action that don't necessarily understand how climate inaction also affects air pollution. And I think that's the way that we're going to connect with young leaders because they already know that climate change and the climate crisis is, rea is a reality. So how can we connect them with the fact that air pollution actually kills more people and it's gonna get worse by the climate inaction? And, that, and, and that's how we end. We give a section related to what possible actions can young leaders take to uh, empower other young leaders or to advance policies uh, to fight for a cleaner air? And we give examples of how to work with uh, the government on how to better use low-cost sensors to monitor air pollution and how to take actions that mobilize people uh, towards air pollution. Fantastic. And I hope at the end of the show you can, you can help us... Uh... I'll call on you or help me remember to, to call out the address where people can find that. Um, I, I asked somebody from the audience, I invited them up the stage um, who I think could have a, a good perspective. Marcelo Mena Carrasco, the former minister for the environment in Chile. And he's, I know he's currently directs the Climate Action Center at, at um, Pontifica Universidad Católica in Valspa. Paraiso. Mm -hmm. um, and Marcelo, you were a minister. Um, mm -hmm. You're on the receiving end of the kind of advocacy we've been talking about. Yes. What do you think were the kind of, what, what kind of stories, evidence, what's the impact that, that this, you know, community of action needs to emphasize to generate um, significant action on air pollution? What do you think works? I think uh, you can't give in to excuses uh, and you have to really put it on the agenda. When we were uh, in the government, I was an activist of air pollution, and we really put the, the matter first and, and, and in the forefront. And uh, people really became aware of the issue that we had been ignoring, adopting the PM 2.5 standard, which actually brought us to have almost 90 air quality episodes per winter time in Santiago versus two or three with the previous standards. So we put it at the center. Unfortunately, this activism is not as strong. I think a lot of the stuff that's going on is towards climate action. But what we got to say uh, to everybody, to the authorities, is that you, you, could, you talk about that you care about our children's future, but you're not protecting their current exposure to air pollution that's killing them or causing re avoidable respiratory disease today. So that's, I think, one of the ways that we could do it. And I, I do think that with this citizen network that we're working on with, um, with this foundation, Horizonte Ciudadano, we, we are bringing that advocacy towards the, so, so authorities are really called upon to take action. Uh, last week, we, with the current governor of Santiago, which is not an elected official from the central government, uh, we did, a, we did a, a press conference regarding what our citizen network had been reporting and had been ignored overall against what the local authorities have been using. So we had actually looked at episodes that the authorities had been ignoring. And I think that was a really effective tool to bring back air pollution into the agenda. Great. And I have a follow-up question, but in the meantime, if you're in the audience and you have a comment or a question you'd like to ask um, our panel um, 
raise your hand or request the mic and I'll bring you up on stage. But so, Marcelo, it sounds like you've transitioned from in government to out of government. You're working in Latin America, dress, uh, air pollution, its effect on children. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, how is that work taking shape? Yes. So one of the things that as an authority always hurt me that six out of the top 10 most polluted cities in Latin America were in Chile. But if you go down the list, around 80% of all measurement capacity is concentrated in Mexico and Chile. And so there's many cities uh, that there's no measurement or no reporting. So we thought it was good to connect the dot and also maybe share the pain uh, and and add more measurement in terms of uh, different cities. So we're working in Sao Paulo. We're working in Rio de Janeiro with IQ Air uh, and Montevideo. We're basically 10 countries, including Nicaragua, um, Dominican Republic, Colombia, Mexico, Ecuador, Peru, and we're putting pollution on the map. The first measurements in Buenos Aires, the first measurements in Montevideo, the first ones in Mendoza. And so really we're putting that uh, that information there, but also uh, working with local communities. So they uh, look at what we could do uh, when the national government is not taking action with our local governments, whether we establish no idling regulations or wood burning uh, control uh, programs nearby schools. And we really could bring this uh, community uh, together to demand action. And I think it's been quite effective as we've deployed over 110 monitors already in Chile and Latin America. That's fantastic. And, and I guess, Leith, maybe I can, maybe I can um, you know, pivot back to you. We sort of started this conversation talking about the global picture and the global state of action. And now we've zoomed into some country and regional examples. Just zooming back out a bit, you know, is the kind of are the kind of actions Marcelo's talking talking about? Are they taking um, form around the world? Are are is this what works? And what kind of advocacy do you hope to see in in other regions of the world? Thanks, Marcelo. Anytime you get a health minister or ex health minister or anyone from a government in a ministerial role talking. Um, environment ministers talking about what it's like from their perspective is just precious, valuable information. So everyone should be listening very closely. Um, What I can say is this year for the first time, World Pneumonia Day, which falls on the 12th of November, is going to be on air pollution. That's the major theme. So that's the first time we've done that. So I'm I'm hopeful that will be a huge push to this agenda. I can see on our conversation we have Dr. Katia Sionese is on the phone. She's uh, leading a new campaign called Numo Light. She's based in Spain, but the Numo Light campaign is global. It's going to be focusing on air pollution this year with a big conference. Um, and we're going to be producing a scorecard. So we're going to take it right to the governments. We're going to rank those countries where air pollution is contributing to the most pneumonia deaths amongst children and adults. I can't tell you the details, but I can give you a sneak peek that there are just 20 countries where most of the air pollution-related pneumonia deaths are concentrated. Seven are in Asia, but 13 are in sub-Saharan Africa. So that tells us where our advocacy really needs to focus to prevent the most deaths among children and adults where air pollution is a factor. So expect to see this ranked list of countries from worst, you know, worst at the top, who really need to make progress on reducing air pollution to meet not just their child survival goals, but their overall 
health goals and we'll be taking it right to the ministerial level in those countries to see if we can push for the kinds of actions that we've talked about um, on our in our conversation this morning. That's fantastic. You know, there seems to be there's there's a a common thread among all of our speakers about the importance of champions, you know, individual champions, ministerial champions, youth, you know, coming to to create the kind of um, racket that to, to drive attention, NGO um, colleagues creating data and getting it out into the press. Um, it's it's really it's, it's very motivating to hear about the stories of people, individual people making a difference is really um, I'm finding it inspiring. Um, Sumi, I, Sumi, I also wanted to circle back to you to, to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about vital strategies work in this space and and how um, you know our organization is playing into this sort of rich tapestry of action and and what role you've you've seen us play or see us playing in the future. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, again, it's been really great to have this this mix of um, speakers joining the conversation today, because I think, you know, what we've seen is that the ch- one of the challenges with air pollution is that we have a lot of decision making that needs to happen at the national and the transnational level. But the advocacy that's happening at the local level really needs to be really connected. So I think that, you know, thanks again to all of our speakers for really making all of these different connections. Um, in fact, what we do here at Vital Strategies often involves working closely with partners at the city level. We have different a range of activities strengthening is clean air surveillance with the type of evidence that's really needed to inform clean air action, really trying to better understand what the misperceptions about air quality and its impacts could be. Uh, we also work with journalists to try to redirect attention towards the most effective solution. Um, for example, we see lots of interest in the press um, tends to be episodic. I think people have seen um, you know, the, the news about the wildfires in the northwest of North America. We've got the agricultural burning happening um, a, a few months um, from now in South Asia, peatland fires in Southeast Asia. But these concerns tend to ebb and flow seasonally. And so really our challenge is to see how we can better sustain interest in this issue throughout the year. Um, we're really thrilled to work with groups like Chimsa within the health sector as we really work to see how we can better integrate clean air as a preventive strategy to address children's health, just as you know, Leith also mentioned with the Every Breath Counts Coalition, for example. Um, and then, you know, finally, I just wanted to note, um, you know, Leith mentioned World Pneumonia Day happening on November 12th, right um, within um, this year's um, Conference of Parties focused on climate. And we're extremely interested in also the promise of better linking air quality, health, and climate for accelerated impacts. And this seems like a no-brainer and something that's really obvious, but I have to say that it's proving much harder to implement than one might expect. And so, again, I think, you know, having really allies and colleagues like like Marcel to work together with from the environment and climate space is also really going to be essential. Yeah, it's, it's, as somebody, you know, my job is to work with the media and think about communications, you know, it, the, the popular understanding in the popular media, it's really the episodic climate disasters, you know, terrible smog, fires, floods, um, drought that are that lead people's understanding of the impact of climate change. Um, but it's it's health that brings it home every day, that literally brings it into the home, how people can experience 
you know, climate change chronically every single day when it negatively impacts. I, I, this is a sort of open question. Any of you, how do you think we can bring that topic of health more to the fore or connect it to people's understanding of, you know, fires, floods and droughts, but also health and health? Any, any thoughts about that? Yes. And and I mean, just briefly, I would say that, that one of the other challenges directly related to what you're saying, Steve, is this notion of kind of the short term versus the longer term health health connections with air pollution. And I think much of the, um, you know, much of the discussion, the debates, the concerns, the awareness all have to do with kind of the short term changes in air pollution. While we actually know that it's the longer term um, exposures that are really connecting to health. And I think that being able to, to redirect our focus towards that um, might better orient us towards um, some of the more longer-term sustainable clean air solutions as well. I just wanted to, to say that I think something really necessary and important to do is to create spaces where um, advocates, in particular young people from the medical sector, can connect with climate action and environmental activists. And that's not that common. If you think about the spaces where you get um, the climate advocates, I don't know, Friday for Future, among many others, and where they're talking with the public health advocates, that's not happening. At least not here in Colombia and for what, from what I can see, not in Latin America and the Caribbean. It is, it is understood as two different spaces. So if we don't open that conversation, it's very unlikely that... Uh, the mindset at the first specific and then the general level changes. Um, and I think something very powerful is to start creating spaces where the public health advocate, and I think this is one of these spaces, but we need more of these spaces everywhere, in every city, in every country, uh, in different languages, where people can say, okay, I'm, because the medical movement is so strong and it not necessarily connects with the climate action movement. And we need those connections. And within those connections, we need to advance on that agenda. How about, like, we need to make air pollution a priority on the COP agenda and, and make a conversation that is not only a, a, between um, state leaders, but also young people. And that in every level. We, As Marcelo was saying in Chile, um, we need more conversations at the local level where people can actually connect with what the doctors are saying, but with uh, what the climate activists are saying. Yeah, I think some of the most effective change happens when you get massive pressure from the local level, all these amazing activists um, to push, push, push in these countries. And when you mirror that with uh, equivalent action from some of the global health funders um, who, let's face it, continue to finance a lot of the work that we're doing. It's a handful of governments and foundations like the Gates Foundation and others who are funding a lot of this work. Um, and my appeal to them is that they've funded global health very effectively, but they've left out air pollution and a lot of other environmental um, issues and climate change. There's two separate groups sort of running in parallel, financing a lot of this work. We need to force them to come together and to collaborate and integrate um, so this, this year is a big opportunity for us to do that, given it's COP26 and so much of the focus is on, on climate. And given that we're in the middle of a respiratory pandemic, which is, which is causing, you know, which is exacerbated by air pollution. So this is our moment uh, where we need to force everyone to come together to, to propel this, this agenda forward. And as, as everybody was, was saying, you know, the, the, we have these uh, 
sort of agendas that people don't really connect. And it is, in a, in a way, um, um, a problem that the whole, the whole uh, scientific community has uh, contributed to. I am part of that community. And when I was uh, negotiating the Paris Agreement, when you wanted to bring in issues such as air pollution, uh, you know, some of the people would say, you know, what does air pollution have to do with this at all? And we'd be like health. And and also, I remember when WHO was trying to put uh, uh, protecting health as part of the preamble in the Paris Agreement. And I did hear, and I can't, I'm not inventing this, some people saying is like, what does health have to do with this? Uh, and of course, it has everything to do with it. The reason why we're doing all these things is because we want to protect human health. We want to protect ecosystems, of course. But the thing is, I do see that when the climate agenda and the air pollution agenda are disconnected, uh, we are missing out on opportunities and an opportunity to bring in the global south. Because when you're talking about air pollution, you're talking about an issue of climate associated to energy poverty, things that the global north does not uh, see sometimes. That, you know, in Africa, you make a fire three times a day for every meal. And that, uh, you know, you, and that causes deforestation, that causes gender uh, inequality issues. And those things are overlooked with a, with a north, uh, global north-centric agenda, which seems to see, see that many of the th these things have technological solutions, such as electric cars and, and renewable energy. When you have very low access to clean energy at all, uh, this agenda does not resonate and therefore does not gain the traction you require from leaders, both local and national. I love that you, this, this, this thread, thank you for bringing that all to the stage. I mean, and it, you know, as somebody whose career has um, centered around thinking about what motivates people to action and the importance that health plays in that role. And particularly, as you said, Mar Marcelo, in the global South, you know, people who are suffering um, at the hands of, uh, you know, of poor air quality and are thinking every day about their health, about how to avoid smog days, about how to keep their children safe. You know, it, it, it is kind of a privilege of people who are, don't have to worry about those to think about the climate as something, you know, very big as far as fires, you know, that, that threaten the environment and threaten wildlife. And, and it's so important to bring these two things together because health is where, you know, most people are, are motivated to action by the health of themselves and their family and mm -hmm. immediate threats. And we do need to bring these things together. Um, we have just a minute or two left. I could, I could keep going for ages. There's a dozen more questions. Um, that I think we could answer. Um, but I do want to just wrap up the final min minute. Um, I think Leith said it best. This is our moment. This is an important, a critical moment um, for this issue. And to, to say that, um, to give people who are listening in some way to take action, I know that um, from our perspective, we're supporting the Global Week of Action on NCDs or non-communicable disease. That's this week. Air pollution is one of the five leading drivers of NCDs like cancer, heart disease, and lung disease that drive 80% of the preventable deaths in the world. So one thing I'd like to recommend is that you check out the hashtag ActOnNCDs campaign on social. You can also visit www.actonncds.com to find some easy ways to take action and ask the People ask the world to take on air pollution more urgently and other NCD drivers. Um, Alejandra, I know that you had a toolkit you were promoting. Can you share with our audience uh, where they can find the toolkit that you described? 
Yes, of course. So actually, you can uh, go to UNICEF and go to slash LAC, uh, LAC, slash um, Toolkit Young Climate Activists. And th there you will see the whole package of, tool of, of tools for climate activists. And the last one is the air pollution booklet, which you can find and download even in Spanish and in English. I hope and we hope from the UNICEF team that it will be also available in other languages very soon. And just to end, I wanted to say that if you get something from this call, I would advocate for it to be involve more young people in these conversations. In every space that you can, when you're talking about air pollution, public health, non-communicable diseases, involve more young people. And that sometimes means that they are not that familiarized or aware of the topic, but it's also our duty to involve them, to give them the tools and the knowledge for them to advocate. We can't expect that to happen just by magic. We need to be um, active in involving people. And involving people sometimes means explaining. And if we need to explain a lot how air pollution is one of the biggest crises for the world right now, we need to do it. That's what the climate change movement did. And I hope we can still do that here. Thank you. And Ayu, would you like to have a concluding thought? I see you give a, a hearty 100% thumbs up to Alejandro's. Any call to action or concluding thoughts? Yes, thank you, Steve. And yeah, I agree with Alejandro. Uh, you guys can also involve the youth uh, to talk about this matter because youth involvement is also important to this matter. And we can show the perspective from youth and share our ideas towards this matter. Fantastic. Leith, would you like uh, anything you think we left off the table as we conclude? Just an appeal to everyone listening today to step up for World Pneumonia Day on November 12th. Uh, and do something about air pollution and pneumonia. We'll have plenty of information out and about on social media. Um, and we, we'd love to see this outpouring of content around November 12th this year. I love that. And can we, is there a place on, on the web where we can look for some uh, coordinated messages or actions? So hashtag every breath counts and hashtag pneumolite. Great. Marcelo, any final thoughts or thought? Um, yeah, um, I think, you know, the road to clean air starts with uh, measuring. And when we talk about all these places that perceive that they have no issue, uh, well, that also happened in India and China before uh, the U.S. started posting the measurements in the U.S. embassy. I think we do need to connect those dots, put the pollution on the map. Otherwise, we're just going to keep on ignoring it. And once you get that on the table, once we start listening to WTO's new guidelines uh, and we follow the, the, the same path that science has shown on climate change, there is no reason why a country shouldn't adopt and look and aspire toward those guidelines right away. In climate change, you either are aligned to Paris or you're not. In air pollution, you're either protecting health or you're not. You can't manage what, what isn't measured. Sumi, that sounds like... Uh, like like a message close to your heart. Would you like a concluding, any concluding thoughts yes. from you? I mean, I think just to remind everyone that this is an urgent problem. It's something that we have solutions for, but we want to make sure that we're looking at 
solving this over the next three to five years and not kicking it down towards the next 10 or 20 years. It's something that, you know, to promote public health, we, we should do immediately. Thank you. You've all been fantastic. I want to thank each of you and our audience for joining this Public Health Power Hour. Um, and in two weeks, we'll having, we're having an excellent discussion on Africa and tobacco. I hope you join us then. In three weeks, we have another fabulous panel talking about alcohol and on global health. I want to encourage each of you to follow Vital Strat on Twitter. Um, that's at Vital Strat and the Every Breath Counts Coalition, who you see up on stage, Simsa Nacional and Stop Pneumonia. Um, thank you all for a great discussion today. Um, and I urge everybody uh, with my colleagues to take action um, this week and beyond to improve global health through addressing air pollution. Thank you all. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Public Health Power Hour. We hold these live conversations several times a month on Twitter Spaces. Follow us at Vital Strat on Twitter to join the conversation in real time. We'd love to see you there. To learn more about how Vital Strategies is reimagining public health, go to www.vitalstrategies.org. I'm Steve Hamill with Vital Strategies. Join us next time on the Public Health Power Hour.